I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my 9 to 5 job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork, and growth together. My name is Brian Rollo, and this is Lead with Impact. Hi there, and welcome to Lead with Impact. I'm Brian, and I am so excited to have you along for the ride today. I hope everything is going well with you. Our guest today is Dr. Andrew Serlin. I got to know Dr. Serlin through the National Speakers Association, New York City chapter, and he is someone who is really a fantastic leader and expert in his field. He is a business consultant with a focus on stress management, leadership, culture, and something we're going to talk a lot about, I hope, the psychology of achievement. Dr. Serlin has lectured to Fortune 500 companies, including Verizon Wireless, Merck, and ExxonMobil. So it's a real treat to be able to get a few minutes of his time to learn from Dr. Serlin. So I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Let's meet Dr. Andrew Serlin. And we are fortunate today to be joined by Dr. Andrew Serlin. Thank you so much, Andrew, for being with us. I'm excited to talk to you on the podcast. A pleasure. Thank you. And we've known each other for a while now, going back to the National Speakers Association chapter in New York. So I got to know you a little bit, and I'm excited to further our conversation and let everyone else sort of know what you do. So can you tell us how you help people? Uh, Sure. Uh, Let's see. So... I guess my approach as an executive coach, a professional speaker, or a corporate consultant is that I tend to, first and foremost, change a person's perspective on a problem or situation they face. That sounds pretty fascinating. How do you do that? Well, you know, it comes, most decision-making has to do with, you know, seeing things I mean, the way we see the world is the way we believe everyone sees the world and we believe it becomes our own reality. But there are many different aspects to a perspective Um, being, you know, I could give you many different types of examples. Uh, One that I use from stage might be um, a fun example where, you know, I tell my daughter, I show a picture of my daughter's room and I and it's really a mess and I. And I explained to the audience that I told her to clean the room before she leaves, you know, um, pick everything up off the floor. I want nothing on the floor. And uh, I walk by the room. She's gone. I walk by the room. It is a complete bombshell, but there's nothing on the floor. Then there's nothing on the floor because she took everything and literally put it on her bed. Cause I told her to, I didn't want anything on the floor. Uh, just a different perspective. Um, in life, uh, I was coaching. I was coaching just a, a fine young man just the other day, and he was selling his business, and I was helping him as a business coach. And he felt the people who were looking at his business looked at one of the of his main services, and they felt that he was really charging less than it was worth. And he had come in kind of depressed about that. 
He had come in, he looked at it as because of his certain insecurities in presenting and selling himself that he has shortchanged himself. Um, my perspective was how exciting that you're trying to sell it to a team that looks at your services and thinks they're underpriced. They think you're worth more than you even realized. It's just another way of looking at the same exact situation. So it sounds like you were saying everything starts with mindset. Everything starts with mindset. I believe everything starts and ends with mindset. You know, how many times have you been in a relationship where something happened to you in your life and 10 years later, as you've matured and grown and learned more, you look back at that situation and you see it completely differently. It happens to us all because our perspective never stays the same. Our perspective is not stagnant. The key is learning how to use perspective to your advantage. How do you do that? Okay, so again, I could just give you examples and you can ask me whatever you'd like from there. So I had someone whose key to their business was networking, but they felt very, very uncomfortable networking because they felt like they were out there asking for business all the time, that they needed business, that they were saying, Brian, I really need business. Uh, would you want to buy this from me? Um, and even though networking isn't necessarily going right into sales, but I said, my gosh, you know, when I network, which I do a lot, and you've met me, so you know, I'm thinking of what I can do for you, not what you can do for me. I'm thinking of what I can offer you, how I can help you. And that changed his perspective dramatically in creating a new comfort level of going out there and networking, just trying to help people offering people what it is you think they need that you can provide. And all of a sudden, his attention wasn't on his needs anymore. His attention was on helping people. Exactly. And, you know, Zig, Zig, Zig Ziglar, one of my favorites from the old days, said, you know, you can get everything you want out of life by helping as many people as possible get what they want out of life. Very true. And I will back you up that you have been very generous, not only with me, but with a lot of people that I've observed with your time and knowledge. And I want to thank, thank you for that, too, because that was 100% true, especially when I started out with consulting. You gave me a lot of guidance for free that you did not have to do. So I appreciate that. And I can sort of see how hopefully it becomes a win-win situation down the road if you do it enough. You know what? I look at it like... Hmm. How do I look at it? I just, it feels good. You know what? When I was young and looking to branch out, I had great mentors who I have found that people who are su successful are willing to give of their time and energy. And I've made a, I think I've made a legacy for myself in doing that no matter where I was and really not w wondering what's in it for me. Um, but I, but but God has been very good to me, so uh, I feel like I have a lot more to give to even break even. That's amazing. So let's back up a little bit, and you, re you reference sure. that things have gone well for you. Can you sort of give us the condensed version, or maybe the not condensed version, of how you got to this place where you are coaching and consulting and speaking? What was the journey? I took a very interesting journey. Um, I... I got my license uh, as a doctor of chiropractic in 1985 and 
I really had nothing else in mind other than being the best chiropractor I could be and spent really 20 years doing just that. Um, had a wonderful career. But by, the, by 1988, which was the first time, August of 1988 was the first time I ever did a public talk. Um, I had looked at it as a way to teach people about healthcare and become known in the community to become a, a popular doctor and to get business. And well, you know how, you know, you know how speaking can be, especially as a speaker yourself. If you go back to your early days, it was the, it, I can say, honestly, um, it's one of the most, it's one of the worst experiences of my life that first time. Now, one perspective is um, that I could have said, oh my gosh, I'm bad at that and I never, ever, ever want to do that again. Or I can say, I really want to get good at that because that's my ticket to becoming well-known. So uh, that's where I started to learn about speaking. I took a 16-week Dale Carnegie course uh, in 1990. On, pub, on public speaking, and it gave me an opportunity to speak twice each week, once for five minutes and once for two minutes. And the five minutes you were prepared for, the two minutes unprepared, and those 32 times of speaking, just I, I started to learn, as you heard in one of my talks, that no matter how uncomfortable you are, to step out of your comfort zone, the only way to get comfortable is literally by stepping out of your comfort zone. A lot of us wait for, okay, when I feel more confident, then I'll do that. But the truth is, you're never going to be confident in the things you're not confident in until you do them and probably even have to fail sometimes, although not necessarily part of the recipe for success, but certainly a popular recipe. I agree with you 100%. That's why something like your course or maybe even Toastmasters, which I know a lot of people do, or NSA, the Leader uh, Speakers Academy, a place where you can sort of fail in a welcoming environment, whatever it is, I think is really important. 100%. Now, by the early 2000s, I had been speaking in many Fortune 100 companies, mostly on, on basically healthcare. But my course evolved to, in 2003, I introduced the psychology of achievement because I guess being a student of self-improvement for so many years, it just became a flavor of all my topics. Uh, you know, it, it just became part of what I spoke about and I decided to present the course on that. And I went back to all the, all the places I had spoken to in the past and I sent out an email to all of them. And the response was dramatic, actually. It was much better than for my healthcare classes. Really? Uh, yeah, it was, it was at the time in the early 2000s, it was exactly what people wanted. And, uh, and that started me, by 2008, I sold my practice. And I started to speak professionally. And I was hired in, well, I was hired my first consulting job was 2000 um, and I was I just kept getting offers that made working at, in my doctor office just not as exciting as it had used to be so I moved on into coaching and speaking and consulting 
I would say it's a fascinating, yeah. fascinating journey. Were there any struggles along the way, or did it sort of go smoothly for you? <laughs> uh, let's see. I laugh because um, I can't remember a time that what there were no struggles. <laughs> <laughs> um, no struggles. You know, uh, through struggle comes strength. Just another perspective. Uh, let's see. There's been struggles all along the way. One is. Um, even, you know, even, you know, learning to be a doctor, I'm dyslexic and ADHD, uh, not the greatest combination for trying to do well in school, but I, I learned how to do that. When I first got on stage, it was really a rough experience and it took a long time before I felt confidence and, and kind of, you know, polished my craft. Uh, and I, Grew it, you know, I had never planned that I was going to grow into having a special love for it. But there's been struggles all along the way in, in everything. And that's pretty much, you know, I guess how I believe that growth comes from the struggle. In fact, I, I, I believe that it's really hard to, like, everyone has a dream most of people hold it very deep within. They don't see it as a possibility. They kind of feel stuck. They have to work. They have to this and they have to that. And But they still have a dream because I believe we were all born to do something great. And in so much, I don't believe it was supposed to come easy. I mean, if you look at, you watch on TV, you, you watch an Olympic star win the gold medal. I, I don't care if it's a a speed, you know, someone running a hundred yard dash or, or the best of anything in the world, no matter what God given abilities, you can, you can be born fast, but what it takes the hours and hours and hours every day of your life to be at the best you can be in life is really um, a tremendous dedication and commitment that very few are willing to pay. So it's so wonderful. I would always tell my kids, you know, you see the they see the glory of ice skaters out there winning a gold medal at 17 years old, but they don't realize that they've never gone to a regular school in their life. They very rarely have lived with their families and they practice for eight hours a day. And that doesn't include tutoring and studying and getting your degree. A lot of work, so, work that people don't see. Yes. And so I, I believe that struggle should be embraced because struggle means you're, tr you're growing. Struggle means you're doing something that you're, you haven't perfected yet. You know, for some of us, every time we get on stage, it's, you know, we're, we're struggling and growing. And for some of us, we've perfected the art and we're past that part of being on stage. And there's other parts of our lives that we have struggles where we continue to grow. I think speaking is such a great metaphor for that, too, because the best speakers make it look easy and people can actually think that it came easy to them. And they don't see all the times we're working on our speeches uh, behind the scenes or times we've said things and it hasn't come out right or realize we have to tweak this or that. And it's just a great metaphor, I think, because the part people see is when it goes well, but they don't see everything that goes behind it. And for me, I, I agree completely. For me, I've been speaking now for, you know, if you want to take 1988 as a number, you could say 30 years. 
And when um, a corporation hires me and they want a two hour lecture, that's a little different than I present on. It takes me 30 hours of, of study time to create that lecture for them. It takes me 15 hours to create an hour lecture. So I'm, I'm an adjunct professor at Queens College. They bring me in to different places to do guest speaking, not as an actual teacher for the entire semester. And I, so it gives me a lot of chances to speak on a lot of different topics that they know that I have knowledge in. But when they give me a new topic, if it's a two hour topic, which it generally is for Queens College, it takes me 30 hours of prep time. Sure. And people, so, people don't see it, but it's there. Yeah, exactly. And that's for somebody who doesn't need to get up on stage to practice anything. Just to prepare the information takes me 30 hours. Exactly. Now, you talked a little bit about how you were able to speak successfully on the psychology of achievement. Can you give us a yeah. little insight into what that psychology of achievement achievement is all about? Sure. Uh, one part, as we've already spoken of, is stepping out of your comfort zone. And, and the second component of it is the power of self-talk. See, some people consider me a communications expert as I've taught communication at the college level. But the truth is the most important conversation you will ever have in your life and the conversations you will have more than any other conversations in your life is with yourself to yourself. It's what we say to ourselves. So the power of self-talk becomes paramount as to where you're willing to go in your life. See, before you ever stepped on stage, and I don't know you very well, Brian, but before you ever decided to speak publicly, ever, something in your mind, your, your makeup said to yourself, I think I can do that. It scares me, perhaps. I have no idea, but I think I would enjoy it. I think I could be good at it. Because if you did not have that self-talk, if you said, I could never do that, I would not be good at that, you're not going to try. And I'm sure if I was interviewing you, you'd have plenty of struggles to tell me along the way of what, to, what transpired. Uh, exactly, of course. So that and, and then becomes the change of perspective. There are, we have experiences in our life that creates anticipation for what will be. So perhaps, perhaps you meet somebody who, um, doesn't let you close, you know, you, you know, a person who doesn't let you close in, you know, they, they don't let anybody too close to them and you get to know them. You get lucky enough to get to know them and you find out they had this experience back in, you know, when they were in junior high school where a good friend betrayed them, stabbed them in the back. We've all had the experience one time or another in life. Well, if you tell yourself, that when you, if you can tell yourself very easily that that experience just goes to show that if you let people too close, they're going to betray you. So generally speaking, a person who creates that belief system for themselves doesn't let anyone in close because they walk around expecting to be betrayed and they end up living a very lonely life. Again, the conversations we have with ourselves dictates our behavior in all things. It even dictates your, you know, where you'll look for a job. 
if, if you're unhappy, you know, how many times have I stood in an audience or spoke to people who are unhappy in a job and I asked them, do they have a resume? No. Well, how long have you been working in this job? 30 years. How long have you been happy, unhappy? 29 years. <laughs> have you ever looked, have you ever looked for another job? No. Uh, the, the conversations we have with ourselves really are the most important we'll ever have. And you know what I find funny about that? Maybe funny is not the right word, but interesting is you can find evidence for whichever side of the equation you want to focus on. You can find evidence if you think you're going to fail, you can find evidence to support that. Or if you think, you know, maybe I can do this. What's some evidence I can find out there? And you start thinking about that and dwelling on it. If it's realistic at all, you can start to find the evidence. And if you focus on that, I think that's a step in the right direction. I don't know if that's sort of a methodology you use or not, but it's the way I sort of think about it. Well, it is true, although I'll take it even further than that. And I'll tell you, and this is what I tell my clients all the time, my personal clients, is that if you believe it, you'll see it. So... I had a client who um, has this beautiful office. He's a vice president of a corporation. He has a beautiful office, all glass. And the president and CEO is just two doors down, two offices down. So that, that CEO has to walk by his office every single day. And many times my client would look up and this guy rushed by. So he started to believe he didn't like him and he was avoiding him. And every single time the guy did not acknowledge him, that just confirmed that belief. And if he did acknowledge him, it just told him, well, listen, if he's going to keep me, he's got to talk to me sometimes. So, you know, he's got to do that. The point is, is that the guy had tremendous respect for him because I actually ended up working in that organization for a short time uh, as a consultant for three months. And I reported directly to the CEO and the CEO had great regard for this man. Turns out that most likely he just was the type that, you know, could you imagine every time I walked by your office, I had to stick my head in and say hello, you know, but if you tell yourself something, you start to believe that thing and you will start to see it. Anything you can make anything in your life look like something else. If you believe it. And that goes good and bad. The problem is most of us have negative self-talk. So turning that around is a big step. It's a tremendous step. Once you understand the power of perspective and how to change different things. And a lot of times when I'm working, whether it be an audience, I have tremendous different examples. Uh, But in so much, if I'm working with somebody one-on-one, I start to hear the self-talk they have, they start to speak in ways that speaks volumes about what they say to themselves. And I just start gently fine tuning. It really isn't as a dramatic, it dramatically changes your life, but the self-talk is not as dramatic. Like when my daughter was young, she would make a mistake and she'd get frustrated and say, Oh, I'm such an idiot. And I'd run over and say, no, that you made a mistake. That's not like you. And to this day, well, it's always been, I'll say it out loud. Wow, that's not like it, if I make a mistake. I don't want to tell myself, 
anything bad about myself. I don't want to believe anything bad about myself. And the truth is, if you believe, now you don't want to lie to yourself either. Your brain will know it's a lie. So if you're very disorganized, telling yourself you're organized is not going to help you become organized. But if I say to myself, it's a difference if I say, oh, I am such a slob and, a, and so disorganized versus, you know, I've been, I've been very disorganized and I've noticed it and I want to make a change. That gives myself potential for tomorrow to be different. See, one of the incredible, I find it the most incredible things about being human is that your, your past does not dictate your future. Who you've been up until this moment, Brian, in your life does not dictate who you choose to be tomorrow or who you choose to be once we hang up the phone. All right. You can make that decision every and, day, right? You can. And, and I believe you should because, you know, this wonderful thing we call life, we want to we wanna live it through, you know, and get the most out of every moment of it. And yes, failing is a tremendous part of life because, you know, if you live, if you live, and, and you've heard me speak about this in, in speaking about my comfort zone, there was a time when I was young where all I wanted to do was remain comfortable throughout the day. I, the last thing I wanted to do is to have any reason to step out of my comfort zone. It was a successful day if I didn't have to get uncomfortable. And the same thing goes with failure. If I want to worry about failure, then basically I'm going to avoid anything I'm not really good at. That's kind of a very self-limiting prophecy. So focus on instead getting yourself out of that comfort zone? It's key. You know, when a child, it's part of what, how we're born. And what I mean by that is when a child learns to walk, they will fall anywhere between 250 and 1,000 times during the process. It's called proprioception. We do not have these nerves in all our joints that tell us where we are in space. So if you closed your eyes right now and you, I told you to face your palm towards the floor, or towards the ceiling, or touch your nose. You could do all those things with your eyes closed because your brain knows where you are in space. Now, in so much, that proprioception, very interesting thing about it neurologically, until you stand up and start to fall, you don't develop it. And in fact, if you never stand, you'll never know how to walk because your body actually depends on you falling for it to try different muscles until it figures out which of the hundreds of different muscles are, are available to it that is necessary to stand on its own. And that's how we are in life. We learn from our failure. We get, if, could you imagine if a child fell three or four times and said to itself, oh, I'm not good at this. I think I'll try just crawling. <laughs> he was 20 years old and crawling everywhere. Well, that's, that's exactly what our lives would look like because walking does not come easily. And you know what's more interesting is, have you ever seen a child walk for the first time, Brian? Sure. So they take a step, maybe a second step. But after the second step, what do they do? Gonna, I call it crash and burn. They're going to tumble. They fall on their face. They, 
They scream bloody murder. Now you go running over, you pick them up, and what do you say, Brian? It's okay. What do you say? What else? Give me a couple of things you might say to the kid. Try again. Um, yeah, that's okay. That was great. Unbelievable. You've never done that before. Do it again. Let me see you do it again. And you would say that over and over. That's the way we need to treat ourselves when we fail. That's the way, that's, that's perspective. Treat yourself the way you treat a child learning to walk. Because if you're failing, it means that you don't know how to do it yet. There's nothing to be ashamed of. And there's absolutely no reason to stop trying. I love it. It's a great analogy. Now, you talk a little bit about fitness, too, and how that sort of comes into play. And I know um, from talking to you, you've sort of got a fitness background, too. Can you tell us about that just for a moment? Sure. Let's see. So, obviously, you know, being a doctor of chiropractic, you learn a lot about health. Um, I also have a postgraduate degree in nutrition. I also started uh, training for bodybuilding in 1983. And in 1988, I was the New York State Open champion in bodybuilding. That's amazing. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Long time ago. So I, I do have experience with it. And when I'm teaching health to somebody or to an audience, which I still do, Um, from time to time. Again, it's always about perspective. It's always about perspective. In fact, I've I've run into people 20 years after I've spoken and they'll remind me of something I've said, usually one of my perspective stories, that changed their lives, that that has them say, my gosh, and they never see the things the same differently. So my favorite one is, and again, I use this from stage, but Remember when Oprah gave away the car? Yes. So she gave away this, actually a car that was discontinued two years later. But it really made big news because you wrote in, you told Oprah why you needed the car and deserved the car. And, and some lucky winner was going to, um, you know, get the keys. And at the, in the middle of the show, she had everyone reach under the seat and, I might be saying it a little wrong, but I believe it was under the seat, the box. And they're all prepared to open the box to see who's got the keys. And they open the box and the whole audience starts to scream because they all want a car. Everyone had a set of keys. So that was a pretty neat story. So imagine if you were on my show, okay? <laughs> so that's the Sterling show. But my deal was this. You wrote in telling me the favorite car in the world that you would want. Any car, Brian, anything, a Maserati, you know, a, a Bentley, a Rolls Royce. I don't care if it costs a million dollars. Any car you ever wanted. And the deal was when you got into the audience, I told you the deal was this. If you can have the car, you can have the car today. You drive out of the studio with it. The deal is, is if you take this car, you will never, ever, ever drive another car, ever. Once you stop driving that car... You walk everywhere for the rest of your life. So assume you took the deal. And then I asked the audience, well, how many miles do you think you can get out of the car? And they start saying, you know, 100,000, 200,000. And I kind of run it like uh, it's an auction. Do I hear 250, 250, 300, you know, and they get into it. Well, Mercedes has a million mile club. 
And I know of a, a, a Triumph that did 2.6 million miles. So, so there are these cars that can go a long ways. Well, how do they go so far? Do you think, so if you won this car, Brian, I'm gonna, you're, you're my audience member. If you won this car, would you, would you put in the cheapest gas possible? No, I'd be doing everything I could to get every mile out of that car that was possible. Okay, so when it came to oil, would you change the oil like every 3,000 miles or would you wait till the oil light came on? I would follow the maintenance plan to a T. So what I'm here to tell you is you really, you won that car. You won the best made machine ever created in the universe. It's your body. You were born with it. And although no one explained it to you, Brian, when it stops driving, so do you permanently. You only get one. And how many of us wait and put in the wrong foods because the oil light isn't on and there's, the car seems to be driving just fine on the wrong gasoline, so why would I put in the good gasoline? And why am I going to exercise before the doctor tells me that if I don't, I'm going to have a heart attack? Because the t- truth is, is that the car's running just fine. I feel good. And yet, the four leading causes of death in America, heart disease, cancer, high blood pressure, and diabetes, kills 86% of all adult Americans. And they call them the silent killers because you feel just fine until it's a little bit too late. In so much, nutrition and exercise needs, you need to take care. People are taking better care of a leased car in the parking lot than they are of the one body they get for their entire lives. And that perspective changes lives. Uh, Without a doubt. I would love to talk to you more about how to do that. Maybe we can have another conversation because I know we're getting short on time. But I just think people getting that analogy and that mindset is going to be really powerful. I know it was for me. Well, if you'd like to invite me back, I would gladly talk to you about nutrition and exercise and what the keys are to live what where where I read the research, where the research is proven to show where longevity and quality of life comes from. Because as a doctor, you know, people would tell people, oh, Dr. Sterling helped me lose weight. Hundreds of people would tell you that. But the truth is I never helped a person lose weight in my life because losing weight was never my goal for the person. My goal was eat right and exercise. Your body will end up weighing exactly what it was meant to weigh because I don't know for sure if you're, I, I could guess, but whether you're a mesomorph, ectomorph, or endomorph, and depending on what body type, I mean, you are an ectomorph, which means that even if you eat wrong for the next 10 years, you're probably going to be tall and thin. It's just your body type. You know, you're going to lean towards thin. But, but another person can eat really healthy and exercise and lean towards heavy because they're an endomorph. Me, I'm a mesomorph where I lean towards muscular, even if I don't work out. But it's not what we look at like that matters. What matters is how we take care of our car. If you want quality of life and longevity, the key is exercise and nutrition. And I would gladly explain that to you when time allows. Yeah, well, I would love to have another conversation on that because I think 
we could go easily for another half an hour just on that. And I think I would benefit from it and our audience would as well. So if you're willing to, I'd love to have you back on to talk about that. Be more than a pleasure. And I'll leave you one last question. Well, two questions. First of all, where can people find you online? <laughs> That's a tough question. Uh, my company is called Sirlin Success Systems. So that's S-I-R-L-I-N, success systems. And that's where you'll find my website, which is being redone as we speak. And uh, what was your other question? So that was, we'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can find that. And then the last question we like to ask all our guests is, if you could send a message to yourself 10 years ago, what would you tell your younger self? Okay, well, considering my age, I think 30 years would be more appropriate. <laughs> okay. Use the number you'd like to use. But in so much, let's see. I think I would just say, Andrew, go for it. You know, I, the truth is I, I limited some of the things I did, including even how many children I wanted to have, because I heard of how expensive it was going to be to raise them and send them to college. And I had no idea how successful I was going to be. Um, I had not planned for the success I had to tell you the truth because my mindset when I was very young was still telling myself what I couldn't do versus what I could do. And as I changed that mindset, wonderful things happened. So I would say that, you know, I would, if I was able to whisper in my ear as a younger self, I'd say, don't worry so much, just go for it, fall on your face, Pick yourself up and just keep going. I love it. Dr. Andrew Serlin, thank you so much for being with us. I've got, I got a lot out of this podcast. I know our listeners will as well. So I want to thank you very much for taking the time. Brian, I really appreciate the invitation. Be blessed. And that was Dr. Andrew Serlin, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I took a lot away from it. I'm going to put a lot into the show notes, but one thing that really resonated with me was his insights on failure, and especially the illustration of a baby trying to walk, and the fact that just because a baby falls down on its first and second and maybe third and fourth and maybe 100th time in trying to learn how to walk. It doesn't mean that baby is a failure, and certainly we wouldn't give up on it. And how many times do we judge ourselves because something we're trying doesn't work the first time, or the second time, or the third time? And we can let that sometimes even chip away at our self-worth, when in fact, failing is sometimes a necessary part of the process. We have to figure out all the ways that don't work sometimes before we figure out the ways that do work. And... That's something that Dr. Sterling reminded me of in this conversation, and I really loved it. I'd love to hear what you thought, so feel free to share, shoot me an email. You can get me at brian at brianrollo.com, www.brianrollo.com. You know all that stuff. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for taking a few moments. I am grateful for it, that you took time out of your busy day out of the hours that you've been allotted and chose to spend a few minutes of that time listening to and learning from a conversation that I had. So it means the world to me. 
and thank you so much. For now, go out there, have a great day, lead with impact, and I will talk to you soon.